Welcome back. This is Andy, and this is the Porporal's Twitch Almanac. I, I don't know. So today we are covering something that I don't know anything about, so I'm super excited to learn a bunch about it, fly fishing. So as somebody that spent a lot of time outdoors, a lot of time fishing freshwater and saltwater, it just was never really one of those things I got to get into because there was no one around to teach me how to fly fish. So there, there's a bunch that goes into it, and, and um, it's a, a complicated thing that I don't really understand. So I'm looking forward to uh, learning a bit about it. And we have the anarchist fly fisher joining us today. And it looks like you've got a good comrade with Mr. Ryan over there, who is the communist caster. So let's introduce our buddy. Hello. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. Thanks for, tu uh, thanks for coming on. So... I know we had talked before uh, about fly fishing and uh, you were super excited to cover a bunch of different things. So before we get into it, uh, one of the questions I had for you and we were talking a little bit about it before we started recording is, you know, when it comes to fly fishing, is it something that like people can do anywhere or is there only certain types of places you can fish where fly fishing works? Oh, I mean, as long as there's water and fish, you can go fly fishing. So. I fish in mainly areas with trout streams, but you can fly fish in the ocean, in ponds, lakes, the mountains, pretty much wherever there are fish are, you can go fly fishing. I think the only exception might be if you're like deep sea fishing, but even then, if you got the right gear, you can make it work sometimes. So it's a pretty accessible activity for just about anybody. All right. So um, I'm assuming most people know what fishing is, um, but could you kind of clarify what uh, fly fishing is in comparison to like traditional, you know, whatever you want to call it, fishing. Yeah, for sure. So the difference between, uh, fly fishing and spin fishing, it well, spin fishing is what I generally call like traditional methods of fishing is, um, the generally just the way you present the lure or the fly to the fish while traditional fishing uses a rod and reel and a very thin line with a heavy lure to cast it out and get it to the fish. Fly fishing uses the line as the weight to cast a very small, very lightweight lure, often referred to as a fly, to the fish. So a fly rod will use a line generally weighted with tungsten grains in it, and then about 7 to 12 feet of normal monofilament fishing line to attach the fly to. So instead of just slinging out a big, heavy uh, metal fishing lure, you're going to be using the flex and bend of a fly rod to manipulate the line to get the fly where you want it to be. Cool. So, yeah, I was always wondering, like, you see those people doing, like, the crazy casts with fly fishing, and you're like, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm watching ballet because I don't understand yeah. what's happening. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it makes a little bit more sense when you explain it that way. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, tell us a little bit more about, like, the, the equipment and kind of why it is the way it is so that it makes sense. So fly fishing is, well, it originated in Europe with the use of horsehair and people would braid the horsehair together to make like a weighted line. And then they would take like a hook and tie some feathers around it to imitate the bugs in the streams. And that kind of eventually just evolved from there. And a lot of the times, oh, sorry, remind me of the question again. I got, uh, <laughs> I got all tracked on the history of fly fishing. No, no, no. I, the, I think the, the history is really important to understand kind of where we are today. Uh, so, like, you can continue on if you want. So, I mean, there's in not 
a whole lot of specification about like where it originated or like who originally started it. It was kind of just like a big thing that was common throughout Europe and just people needed to catch fish to eat. So, and there's another common method of, I wouldn't necessarily call it fly fishing, but it's the Japanese version of Tenkara fishing. That is also another very common method of using a weighted line and fly to get where you uh, try and catch fish. And that's also another important part of history was the Japanese development of Tenkara, but that would probably be a topic for a later time. But yeah, it originated mainly in Europe. So Awesome. So uh, what are you trying to catch with fly fishing, like traditionally? Traditionally, it would be trout, uh, mainly uh, the European brown trout. Um, they're very, the brown trout is a very smart and elusive fish that can grow up to 24 inches, but on average, it ranges about eight to 12 inches. And their main consists of mainly bugs, about probably about 90% just insects that you find in the water and other sources of food might include minnows and crayfish. And if they're big enough, like baby ducks that land on the water, but that's uh, that's if you get a pretty big one. So it, yeah, it was mainly, mainly fishing for brown trout, but also other species like chubs and perch and stuff like that. Cool. So if you have any of those species, you can go fly fishing. You can, honestly, you can fish for any species of fish out there. Oh, interesting. Uh, all right. So say I'm like, all right, this sounds cool. Um, like what are the next steps? What am I looking for? You know, in terms of like equipment, I know there's like, weighted line weighted poles like all these different pieces like what what does it all mean yeah so generally when people start fly fishing um you'll want a rod reel and a line just like anything but it's a little bit different than um, a spinning rod and i think it can be a little more gear heavy so i'll try and break down some of the terms so they're not super complicated but most of the time a novice fly angler and is going to start off with a nine foot five weight fly rod and fly rods are weighted from generally one to 12 weight. And essentially what that means is one weight being the lightest. I think it's like one grain of tungsten per square inch in the fly line. You, uh, you'd have to look that up. I don't think I am hundred percent certain that's what it is, but, and then 12 weight being the heaviest, a one weight fly rod would be an extremely light rod that you use to catch fish that are generally under 12 inches. And then a 12 weight fly rod would be something that you fish in the middle of the ocean for marlin and sharks. So a five weight is like the perfect intermediate rod that can catch anything from small fish to pretty large bass and ocean going fish. So once you get the rod, you'll need a reel and a fly reel is a little bit different than a traditional spinning reel in the sense where a fly fishing reel you don't always really need it in a way you're not going to be really reeling in the fish and and a lot of fly reels don't even have a sophisticated drag system like a spinning rod and a drag system is where if you pull out line um, there will be a little bit of tension to prevent the line from all just unspooling everywhere and it's generally used to help uh, fight big fish but on a fly rod the reel is mainly used as a line storage device so you'll have about 90 feet of fly line, and then you'll have about just 120 yards or so of just braided um, backing just to fill the reel up. Awesome. So um, there's like a chunk of your line that's not for, that has uh, no intention of being cast. It's just there as like mm -hmm. storage almost. Yep. It's just there as storage line. And on bigger rods, it's there as um, just 
being able to let the fish run, but for all intents and purposes, it shouldn't really never be fished. So, all right. So like, I, um, I want to talk a little bit more about that idea of like drag. So like when you're mm -hmm. fishing traditionally drag is to wear the fish out so they don't snap the yes. line. So what's the alternative with like fly fishing then if you don't have that drag system? So you just use your, essentially just your hands as a drag control system. Uh, most of the time, the fish I catch uh, don't, aren't big enough to really pull the line. So what I do, it's called you strip in the line. It's where you have one hand used kind of as like a trigger where you can like let line out or let line loose. And then the other one just drags it in. So, and you can keep it, it just like in spools beneath your feet. But if you do get a big enough fish, you can, you can get it on the reel. And if you spend a decent amount of money on a fly reel, it will have a, a fairly reliable drag system. So then it's essentially just like a regular fishing rod. Cool. Uh, so, all right. So you, we understand how you reel in a fish. Now explain to me the casting. I want to understand this, like how it actually yeah, works. For sure. So fly rods are built quite delicately to handle a specific like weight of line like we had mentioned like the five weight fly rod should be fished with the five weight line and the most common type of fly line is called a weight forward fly line and what that essentially means is it's going to have a majority of the weight in the first like 10 to 15 feet of the fly line so if if, if you think of it it's kind of like the first section of fly line is really thick and then it tapers off and then it's much thinner. It's not noticeable, but what that does is it essentially helps with shorter casting, you know, casting 10 to 15 feet, which is what most people will do. I rarely ever use more than 10 feet of my line, but what that, that uh, weight in the fly line does is that will bend the rod. And then that bending of the rod is called the loading of the rod and then that will the energy from the rod and from the cast will propel the line forward and backwards and you can use that to get more line out and place it where it needs to be all right so like if i'm like thinking about the people that are like going back and forth they're basically winding up before mm -hmm. and then using like yes. an, uh, a slingshot basically to fire it yes. across yeah yeah it's you're just building energy cool all right, so we understand how to cast, we understand how to reel it in. Now, like you're throwing it out there and then you throw out this bait and then does the fly sit on the top of the water? Are you like jerking it? Is that based on the type of bait, which is probably based on the season and understanding like local ecology? Like, can you break that down a little bit? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, this will depend entirely on a river to river basis. So what I'm gonna say is just a general overview. And if you wanna, get to know the fish in a local ecosystem, you'll probably have to go out there and like fish it yourself. But when most people think of fly fishing, what they think of is fishing a dry fly. And what that is, is it's a fly that sits on top of the water and imitates a grasshopper or a mayfly or a caddisfly or a moth or anything that's just fallen on top of the water and is riding in the foam and stuff like that. And generally trout and other, in, not, not insects, uh, other fish that have upwards facing eyes will see that and eat it so but fish only eat about 10 to 15 percent of their diet on the surface of the water so a lot of times you'll especially in the winter time when fish aren't looking up and aren't eating food off of the surface of the water you'll fish what are called wet flies or nymphs and what those do is they imitate insects in all different stages of their life cycle under the water 
And oftentimes they're weighted down through the use of lead wraps on the hook or a bead head or a split shot that's just above the fly. And generally you'll fish what's called a nymph rig, which is just, you have a bobber, well, a very light bobber, often called a strike indicator. And then you will have about four to five feet, or really depending on the depth of the water. And then you'll have one fly, which will be heavier and help the flies get down. And then from, the, from that, you'll tie a little bit of line off of that first fly and then tie on a second fly. And that second fly is generally what the fish will eat. And it will oftentimes be smaller and much lighter than the first fly. Interesting. I, I, sometimes when I'm catfishing, I do something similar. Um, mm -hmm. Not on the internet, but like with actual catfish. <laughs> so, so that's interesting. So you have to have like a basic understanding of like your, your local conditions, right? Yes. To do this. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty easy to go out there and figure out what the fish are eating. If you find a spot where there are rising fish or rising is when fish are most commonly referred to as jumping out of the water in search of food. If you just watch them for five or 10 minutes and figure out what they're eating and then go into your fly box and pick out a fly that's roughly the same shape and size as the flies that they're eating, uh, you should have success. And if they're not rising, one thing you can do is lift up rocks and look at the bugs underneath the rocks and, find, and pick out flies that imitate those bugs. Generally, you'll want something that's the same size and shape. Color doesn't always matter but I like to try and go with more natural colors like brown and green to imitate insects. Awesome. So uh, it's based on like location, seasonality. Um, mm -hmm. How important is the fish itself? Like, do you need to know what's biting to, to know what, what to feed it? Or is it just the fact that pretty much all fish eat basically the same thing if they're in the same area? I think that depends entirely on whether or not there's a kind of a food chain when it comes to how the body of water is um, laid out. In most trout streams, there's going to be generally one or two species of trout. And all of those trout are essentially going to be eating the same thing with the exception of the really big ones that live in the river. But most of the time, all fish eat bugs. You know, I've caught six or seven pound bass on bluegill flies, you know, something itty bitty that I was fishing on a really light rod to try and catch bluegill. But a lot of the times, essentially, like the bigger the fish, the more predatory in nature you want your pattern to be. So if you're trying to target larger fish like bass or large trout, you'll want to fish flies that imitate smaller bait fish like shad, bluegill, maybe crayfish, maybe something on the top of the water like a frog or a duck if you're crazy. <laughs> but yeah, but most of the time it's just insects. Yeah, that's um, that's cool. Like I, I really love the con. Like the one thing about like hunting and fishing in particular, that as the older I get, the more it draws me in is the the necessary understanding of ecology that comes into it. I feel like I've learned more about my local ecology because of a passion about like you know again fishing or hunting or whatever it might be that I don't think you can learn unless you have, uh, you can't learn the ecology in that intimate kind of way without that mm -hmm. relationship. Yeah, uh, for sure. Go ahead. Oh, um, I've learned so much about the local watersheds I have around me and how to protect them and 
the way bugs and fish function and live because of fly fishing. It's really been the thing that got me into uh, conservation and eco-anarchism in the first place. Yeah. Um, so if somebody, to step away from fishing for just like a mm -hmm. moment, if somebody is interested and they're like, hey, I want to do this fly fishing, um, but I literally don't, I don't even know what fish look like. Like I, I know what a fish looks like, but I can't tell you the difference between like a bass and a trout. And so like, how am I going to be able to do all these other things? So like you go out to the stream or river and it's like, what am I looking at? Like, what are some good resources? Uh, are there ones online? Are there YouTubers? Are there good books? Like what, what do you recommend? Um, there's, well, fly fishing has been around forever or not or forever, but there are tons of fantastic books and articles you can read online as well as YouTubers. There's a plethora of good fly fishing YouTubers out there that really help break things down into a very simple manner for people to understand. And watching those YouTube videos is really what got me started as a kid is I kind of found, I, I found a fly rod in our garage one day and I had been spin fishing for about maybe a year and I was fascinated by it. I had no idea how to use it. So I essentially took it out uh, in, in front of my house and got a horrible tangle. Um, immediately got frustrated, brought it back into the house and went online and looked up, you know, how to cast a fly rod. And I think the first thing that popped up was probably the Orvis guide to fly fishing. And Orvis is a very popular fly fishing company and they have a lot of great resources for beginner anglers like I was back then. And I think they have a whole like 10 episode series on like how to get started with fly fishing. And it goes from like the total basics, like how to identify fish and like what a fly rod is to like more complicated stuff, like how to tie your own flies and how to fish in the ocean and stuff like that. So there's tons of resources online for you. Yeah, that's awesome because I think about like when I was a kid and I was learning to do a lot of this stuff, not fly fishing. And part of the reason why I never got into fly fishing is because if I wanted to learn about fishing, it was like the really terrible stuff that was on like ESPN on Sunday mornings that my dad would watch mm -hmm. or, you know, I would get like in fisherman magazine and it's just yeah. basically like, you know, freedom guns version of fishing. Um, and, and, but version. like, yeah. And like, that's unfortunately pre-internet that that was your only option. Yeah. So it, it's really cool and a unique opportunity where people that want to get into this stuff now have a lot of resources. But on the flip side, it can be really overwhelming because there's so much out there. It's like, who do you trust? Agreed, yeah. Uh, and it, it, one of the things I found personally when getting into new hobbies, I wasn't uh, into like hunting until I was older, is that like you can get out there and you try to f just say like, I want to learn the basics and work my way up, like what you're talking about. And there's just so much out there. It's like, how do I find the basics? Like, how do, I don't know what yeah. I don't know. So mm -hmm. how do I start? And that was kind of like where this whole uh, Twitch series came from was this idea of like, mm -hmm. there's a bunch of different areas around this idea of like self uh, community resiliency, self resiliency, things like that. And to get those resources, you need a framework to start from to be able to mm -hmm. say, all right, I know these key terms. I kind of know what I should be looking for now that this is new to me. And mm -hmm that's where something like this, where we can go through these steps and say, here's all the things to be aware of. Now you understand kind of how they're connected. So if you want to deep dive into like the, the, the uh, number of the poll, you kind of already have some place to go and you understand why it's important 
as opposed to like going into some thread on the internet and some chat room and people are arguing about something you don't even understand and why one yeah. number is better mm -hmm. than the other and all that good stuff. For sure. Uh, well, go ahead. Oh, from my experience, uh, the fly fishing community is really receptive of new anglers and there are tons of resources out there to help you. Um, my suggestion would be if you have it around you, go to your local fly shop and ask the owner there or whoever's working to help you get set up and get started fly fishing. They will be super friendly. And if they're not, go to a different fly shop like immediately. <laughs> but generally, they will take as much time out of their day as needed to help you get started fly fishing. And they will give you a brief casting lesson. They will show you what rods are and what flies are and how to fish them in your local area. And oftentimes, if you don't have access to a fly shop, if you do have access to a Bass Pro or a Cabela's, that will be another great resource that you can use. And they can help you, but probably not as in-depth as a fly shop would be able to. Sure. Okay, so we understand now, I guess, the, the fishing aspects, the pole, the reel, uh, could you talk a little bit about the, I know we talked about like the flies mimicking, but I know you talked about mm -hmm. that you can make your own flies. Could you go into a little bit more detail about that? Yeah, for sure. So it's called the art of fly tying. And I definitely would consider it an art because it's very similar to like jewelry making or something like that. And what you do is essentially you start off with just a bear hook, generally like a number 12 or a number 14 hook. And from there you'll use thread and a bobbin to tie on different materials like feathers or tinsel or wire and use and just combine those to create a pattern of fly that imitates or doesn't even have to imitate a type of bug in your river or like a little minnow or something like that. And there's awesome. plenty of resources to get started with that as well. And you should be able to find them in the same areas you would find fly fishing information. Yeah, and that's how you go down the rabbit hole. You're like, I want to catch a fish. That'd be fun. And then the next thing you know, you've got a studio in your basement that's like all about making, mm -hmm. you know, little little flies. And, yep. uh, you know, I'm like looking at my chicken and I'm like, huh, those feathers would be great on a fly. <laughs> they would be. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of how it started with me. I was like, oh, I want to go down and catch the stocked trout at my local pond. And now I have like 17 rabbit's faces and a whole pheasant skin and eight fly rods and hundreds of dollars worth of gear and stuff like that you know i've got all sorts of stuff and you go down the rabbit hole mm -hmm. so totally. i i think people assume with fly fishing that it's typically like on a river um now when you do fly fish i know you've talked about a bunch of different things uh in terms of like what what you want to use when you want to use it you know all of that um now are there fundamental differences between like you know ocean fly fishing and like a pond fly fishing versus like a river or a stream or is it basically just like the same thing but with bigger or smaller things both are correct in a way um i definitely would say that in levels of difficulty fly fishing on a pond or a lake is definitely the easiest especially on a pond for sunfish or bluegill where you don't even have to cast more than 10 feet off the bank to catch them is definitely the easiest because you don't have to worry about the way the current of a river or ocean would interfere with your line. So you can just kind of cast your line out there and just let it sit and, or use your hands to strip in the line and manipulate the fly a little bit into getting a bite 
Whereas like a river or an ocean, it has a very strong current. Well, it depends on the area, but especially on rivers, you have to deal with inter intercepting currents and the way they interact with your fly. And as a general rule, you want your fly to drift as naturally as possible in the water. You want it to look like there is nothing attached to it and you don't want it to move at all. So oftentimes you'll have to do what's called mending, which is where you use the tip of your fly rod to manipulate the line in a way where it will stay uniform with the current and not pull your fly in every which way that. So. Okay. So, um, it, you know, you're talking about like how to try to catch the fish. So how do you, um, and this is dipping a little bit more into like just traditional fishing, but if somebody's coming mm -hmm. at this without any experience, you know, how, how do you figure out where the fish are, especially like in a, like, I feel like a pond can sometimes be easier, but I really struggle whenever I'm fishing in like a, a stream or a, a river. So can you For talk sure. a little bit about that? Definitely. So a lot of the times when fish are living in a pond or a river, they are looking for structure like logs and weed jams and stuff like that to protect them from predators. They're also looking for, especially in rivers, like running water to provide them with oxygen. And then they're also looking for, and this is probably the most important one, is access to food. So anywhere where they can find minnows or little bugs to eat or something like that in the river is where you're going to find fish. So oftentimes in ponds, it's going to be on drop-offs or near log jams or under lily pads or in more sparse high lakes, it's going to be right along the bank where the sun reaches the most and where all the bugs are. And in a river, it's often going to be right where the shallow water drops off into deep water or where there's a fast, deep current or anywhere where there's like a log that's sticking out into the current or a rock poking up that creates a break in the fast water. Anything where the fish can find some solitude from predators, the sun, and the rush of the water, and have access to food at the same time is where you're going to find fish. Cool. So they, they basically like to hang out at the margins of yeah. two different spaces. Mm -hmm. um, and, which... That's a good way to put it, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, so I want to ask for uh, somebody that's been doing this now for a number of years, looking back is there anything in particular you wish somebody had told you or warned you or helped you with that maybe you didn't figure out until later on after you've been doing it for a few years where you're like how come no one ever told me this yeah well that's a definitely a tricky question but i think one of the most important things that i wish i learned as a young fly angler was probably that you don't need to spend a lot of money on fly fishing to enjoy it you know fly fishing is a very gear heavy and material heavy tactic so that gets polluted by capitalism and creates an environment where people are always always trying to sell you something you know they're trying to sell you the best line cutters so you can cut your line quicker or they're trying to sell you the best fly tying materials so your flies look better and from my experience you don't need most of that stuff that they're selling you can get away with the beginner gear and old flies and nail cutters from your grandma's sewing kit and just just about whatever and still catch as many and as big of fish as all the pros so that's awesome um i always think of fly fishing like 
that like scenic image from like an LL Bean catalog with the guy with like yeah. the vest with all the shit on it. And like, that's yeah, what I yeah, think that's of just, <laughs> that's just, um, that's just the pollution of the art through corporate capitalism, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting, I mean, you think about it, even like traditional fishing, you don't ever go out and use more than like four at most different types of lures. So like, mm. there's absolutely no need to be carrying that kind of stuff with you at any given moment. Yes. I have a fly, well, I have about four or five fly boxes that are full of probably almost $500 worth of flies in total. And I think I always see myself coming back to like the same three or four patterns that I use. Yeah. I've really decreased the amount of gear and kind of just kept it at a level where I'm happy and I never feel like I'm out of something, but at the same time, I'm not like overwhelmed with the amount of stuff I have. Yeah. It's definitely important to simplify. Otherwise you, you can go down like a very dark rabbit hole of like wanting the best gear and feeling like you're missing out if you don't have specific things. Uh, And there's so, you you know, at least in traditional spin fishing, uh, there's so many gimmicks that it's, it's really hard if you're not somebody that's like deep into it to, be able to say like this is a gimmick this isn't um yeah because especially with like the infrastructure for like the the media around fishing um there's like a very heavy sales side uh that's like old school like it reminds me like when i was a kid like used car salesman that still like somehow exists i'm guessing because of the the generation like that is that they're geared towards is probably still primarily boomers that they sell to so they still sell that old school style of like look at how great this thing is and then like they imitate it like in a tank or something and you're like okay yeah uh it's it's a a weird weird industry Mm -hmm. um so yeah anything i didn't ask that you uh wanted to talk about at all that's a good question let me think well i definitely think when it comes down to like beginners is uh, my suggestion would be to understand that fly fishing is going to be frustrating activity. When you first pick it up, you're going to get tangled. You're going to lose flies and trees and you're going to trip over rocks and you're going to lose fish and you're going to go days where you don't catch fish. And I think it's important to understand that it is all part of the experience. You know, fly fishing can't be catching. It's not fly catching. It's fly fishing and fly fishing involves screwing up all the time. You know, that's kind of the wonder of it is it really humbles you as a person and especially if you're always worried you're going to make mistakes or always trying to be the best person on the river at catching fish, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be tricky, but if you can just accept the fact that it's okay to screw up and that messing up makes you a better angler and that everybody has been there before, it's going to make fly fishing really enjoyable. So. Actually, I do have, a, I have two questions uh, or a comment in a question. Um, sure. I'll go to the comment first. Um, fly fishing falls under uh like the same requirements in terms of licensing as traditional fishing correct so you do need a permit yes it does Mm -hmm. okay you if you are depending this it depends on state but i think federally once you turn 18 you need to buy a state fishing license and in colorado i believe that's about 70 dollars, which is unfortunately really expensive uh but that revenue goes entirely to the colorado parks and wildlife and that's where they make like i think 60 percent of their revenue from so you should always i know a lot of people in here are probably anti-capitalist but you should always buy a fishing license to support your local parks and wildlife system because without them 
we're probably not going to get water to fish because all the corporations are going to buy it up and use it to turn into bottled water to sell you. So <laughs> always buy a fishing license for sure. Yeah, I think uh, in Massachusetts, it's like $25 or something like that. Yes. Um, so I, I actually think I was able to get my my tags for my deer permit and my ocean uh, permit and my freshwater permit for like 80 bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that, that's expensive over there. Uh, yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> so I was also going to ask if I can remember now. Um, shit, I'm not sure if I'm going to remember. Uh, what was I going to ask? They also, and that's true. Uh, someone commented that uh, they also, a lot of that money goes towards like fish stocking and lakes, which is really big around here because mm -hmm. trout just have been decimated and uh, they, they stock ponds around here. And it's great to be able to fish for trout that you otherwise wouldn't be able to fish for. Um, it's, it's sad that it's gotten to that point, but that is where we are. Uh, Absolutely. And, yeah. And, uh, but there are some really cool research projects. I know like in Maine, they've been investing a lot of money from their game uh, licenses to um, restore some of the old salmon runs and things like that. So there's some really cool work going on, uh, despite it being the federal government uh, around like supporting, um, you know, some of these really important projects that I think get dismissed by a large portion of the population. And I remember Absolutely. my question now. Uh, so you've been around fishing for a while. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm under the impression, and I could be wrong, that fly fishing is probably a little bit less reactionary, and I think it's probably mostly class-based um, than, like, traditional fishing. I wanted to know your thoughts. Well, I think that – I think it that's – that's a really good question, and let me, let me think of a way to put this. But fly fishing – the fly fishing community can be a, a really mixed bag for the most part, a lot of fly anglers are really big on conservation. So, and if you, if you take out the political side for a second, which is definitely difficult to do because everything about fly fishing is political from the water to the hooks you buy. Um, a lot, if you ask pretty much any fly angler, they're going to say that they conservation is extremely important to them and that they want to protect rivers and land and public land for use in the future. But at the same time, because of, the way fly fishing caters towards people with a lot of money, you're going to get a lot of right wing nut jobs who are, you know, like, Oh, I love our public lands, but at the same time, vote for the coal companies and stuff like that. But for the most part, the fly fishing community is definitely very supportive of new anglers, very supportive of diverse anglers and very supportive of women and children anglers. So I have never really had any issues with, serious amounts of racism or sexism. I know it certainly does exist. In my opinion, might be diluted or changed simply because I'm a white man and I have not had the same experience as a black fly angler or a woman angler or somebody from a very poor country, something like that. But for the most part, you're going to find very supportive people in this community. Cool. Yeah, I, I like I said, I, I typically envision when you're talking about like fly fishing, like that L.L. Bean, like white collar guy who's the who wouldn't want to consider himself racist, but is casually so, uh, but very focused on the environment. And you can find a lot of commonalities and very thought, like thoughtfulness in that process. And then you're also like, what the hell? Versus like, you know, in traditional fishing, you know, uh, in my experiences is much more like blue collar, 
um, more uh, visceral about their uh, politics and beliefs and uh, mm -hmm. a, a weird amalgamation of environmentalism that exists because they recognize like in my experiences i'll go like saltwater fishing and you'll see guys that'll bitch and moan about like the size requirements and it's like well you just mm -hmm. said you wanted to go fishing and the reason there's fish is because of those size requirements yeah for <laughs> you sure know? i and think good go ahead sorry oh well i think that the main reason that fly fishing differs from spin fishing in that way is probably because fly fishing requires a much more not patient person patience is definitely required but fly fishing is definitely an art you know sometimes i feel as if spin fishing is you're just whacking the fish over the head with a lure and dragging them in out of the water as fast as you can whereas fly fishing requires much more precision and time and delicacy to catch the fish. So I believe that in a way it opens up people's minds to conservation and the health and quality of the river and the life of the fish. And it's not just going out on the boat and getting drunk or stoned and doing whatever. So, yeah, I, I like that. Now I'm imagining like whack-a-mole, but with fishing. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's kind of, you know, you say that and I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it's definitely, I think in my experience, what I've, seen most commonly and i think obviously that's a little bit facetious but also um yeah there there is a very uh real understanding that a lot of people go fishing and they expect to just like throw a bait out there and if i do it a hundred times at one of them fish is going to jump on it and i'm not going to do anything different based on the conditions or mm -hmm. any of these other things especially when you get into salt water and you're doing like charter fishing or something where it's literally like yeah put this meat on this hook and drop it to the bottom and then wait for a fish to bite it and then reel it up. And in the meantime, drink like that. That's basically yep. it. That is uh, the type of fishing that I really do not like. It certainly is fine, especially saltwater fishing and using bait and stuff like that, that type of fishing. And if you're fishing for food is totally fine. And I have spent a considerable amount of time around, well, not a considerable amount, but for, the average Colorado and I've spent a considerable amount of time down in Florida. I have family there and I will go fishing on boats and on kayaks and stuff like that and in salt water. And it's definitely a different environment and it's a much more aggressive environment and that's okay simply because that's what the fish bring out. But it's important to still have that sense of respect for the fish and the waterways and the whole like charter boat thing and just going out. And I remember one experience when I was about 14, maybe, my aunt and uncle rented us a boat and we went uh, deep sea fishing for tuna and stuff like that. And one of the charter boat guides cracked open like a Coke or a beer or whatever it was, finished it and then threw the can in the ocean and said, the can will just decompose because the metal comes from the ocean in the first place. And I was just like, what the hell? And I was like, no, 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 no. That is not okay. You cannot do that. That is not appropriate at all. So. Yeah, it's it's a different world out there. And it, it is this weird, like, you know, we we're talking about like in Fisherman magazine and this kind of dichotomy. And you see it in like the hunting community too, where it's like this idea of like you can't blend this concept of like not giving a shit with this hobby at the same time because it, they're fundamentally incompatible. Yeah, uh, like to sure. be a good hunter, you know, to not to go off too far on a tangent, but like to be a good hunter, you have to know your ecology. You have to know where yes. deer feed unless you're using artificial feed and even then if you're using like if you're baiting them and you get a deer like understanding how to prep that deer so that you utilize the full carcass is like its own 
it is very much a science and an art at the same time but it's not something you can kind of like muscle and fumble your way through the way um you know the the person who casually you know throws a spinner bait out there and rips in a bass and then rips off like half its lip trying to get the treble hook out uh you know yeah it gets much messier and like there's like this fundamental incompatibility with the the hobby itself and the people that feel like they need to do it for whatever reason or they can't they they're not allowing themselves to be intimate enough with the hobby to like access the the layers of it that they should be yes i think a lot of that has to do um especially especially in like spin fishing and sport fishing in general is uh and competitive fishing as well is the whole like the like air of like the toxic masculinity in there and it's not not obviously not to say masculinity is toxic not at all but it's this environment that's like you shouldn't care for the fish you should be a jerk when you're kind of like on the water with your buddies getting drunk and just killing animals you know stuff like that the kind of be a man go kill a fish kind of sentiment and a lot of times that definitely it definitely goes away in the fly fishing community but it's definitely still there and it's definitely definitely unfortunate to see yeah yeah it's um I mean, now it sucks because right now it's the middle of January and now I want to go fly fishing. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, I got to go here. get a pole and I'm like, where am I going to go? Like, there's nothing to, you can't go fly fishing around here right now. Not that you really can much anyway. But uh, yeah, it's every winter I'm like, I got to get get out and go fishing more because it's such a fun, exciting hobby. And you like you go down these wormholes about like fish, like the way the fish act during the seasons. And it's like, oh, mm. the ocean's 56 degrees today. It's a good day for like fluke yeah and you're like cool like how do you know that uh yeah yeah for sure it's, it's like you can go down these rabbit holes mm -hmm. i uh because of fly fishing i've learned so much about like meteorology and weather conditions and stuff like that and i'm always talking about the weather and the cloud cover and my friends are always like why do you care so much about that like what what, what is it to you and i'm just like well it's because i want to go catch a fish pretty much when it all boils down to it i want to stand in the river waving a stick and catch a fish hopefully <laughs> yeah and it's just cool to like and same thing with hunting like you have this moment of like you bested something in its own environment and oh, yeah, like for sure. obviously you're utilizing a tool but like it's still super cool to just be like there's this giant pond or river or whatever mm -hmm. and you could be anywhere in it that you wanted to be but like i'm holding you right now because of the thing i did it's just it's yes, a really absolutely. cool experience for me, that's um, something that's very relevant. I live near Denver, Colorado. I live about 45 minutes away from it. And because of that and the proximity to Rocky Mountain National Park, uh, a lot of the rivers around here are very heavily pressured. And Colorado is an incredibly dry state and uh, we don't get big fish. I mean, we do in certain areas, but statistically we don't get huge fish. We don't get big rivers, but we have a lot of people. So what that means is places like Deckers or the South Platte or Cheeseman Canyon, are going to get or going to see thousands of anglers every year. And those fish are super smart. I mean, I have had some experiences where I have seen this fish in this pool and it has been rising and feeding on these bugs for the past hour now. And I am using line that's, you know, two times smaller than human hair. I'm 50 feet away from this fish. I have the perfect presentation and it goes right by this fish's nose every single cast and the fish doesn't care because it knows that, oh yeah, I see a person over there. So that means that that is a fake bug and I shouldn't eat that. 
So in some of those environments, when you can finally catch, especially one of like the big older fish of the stream, it's extremely rewarding to know, hey, despite the fact that this fish has the brain that's about the size of my pinky nail, it is still so much smarter than me in its environment, but I still, I still got the better of it. You know, I still caught this fish. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's where we should end it because that's a great story. Uh, Absolutely. so, <laughs> so, uh, I, I know we've been posting your Instagram and your Venmo. So if folks want to throw you a couple bucks, go follow you and see your cool fish. Uh, they can go do that. Uh, any final words, thoughts, anything like that? Um, anything, the last thing I want to say is just try and be a really respectful person on the river, you know, give other people space. Don't walk into the same hole that they're fishing. If you see somebody else who got to the stream before you don't rush to get your stuff ready to get out there before them, you know, just pretty much don't be a dick. And that if anybody wants to talk more about fly fishing, you're welcome to DM me or go follow any of the larger fly fishing Instagram pages or go buy a book or watch a fly fishing video or something like that. And remember that it's a difficult activity, but it's entirely worth it in the end. And it's a beautiful sport or not necessarily a sport, but it's a beautiful wildlife activity that will bring you to so many amazing places and will help you connect with so many fantastic people. And then I think everybody should at least once in their life, give it a try, whether or not it's for you is entirely up to you, but just go out there and experience what it has to offer. Awesome. Thanks so much, Owen. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, guys. So we're wrapping up now. Um, just a heads up, we will be doing an AMA on Twitch next Monday. We're going to drop uh, uh, open questions on our Instagram probably Friday or Saturday night. So if you want to see some questions answered, go uh, drop your questions over there. We also have an episode coming out on Sunday with Dr. Brian Dale. We're talking about eco-agriculture in Canada and uh, unionizing farmers. So I think that'll be a really interesting question, uh, conversation that folks will be super interested to hear. Lastly, if you do want to support us, go uh, join us on Patreon. We drop episodes a week early. I'll be putting up the Brian Dale episode probably tonight. Uh, I just finished editing it. And uh, it, it allows us to see that people care about what we're doing and that they want to hear more. So until next time. Oh, and uh, yeah, I think that's it, actually. So until next time, this is Andy, and this is the Poor Proles Almanac.